Hello and welcome to the very first Funds Fan Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Investor in partnership with Money Observer Magazine and also MoneyWise Magazine. I am Kyle Caldwell, Deputy Editor of Money Observer, and today I'm joined by Dmitry Lipsky, Head of Funds Research at Interactive Investor, and Faith Glasgow, the Editor of Money Observer. Dmitry, Faith, thanks for joining me. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having us. First off, we're going to take a look at a couple of news items in the funds world. We're recording this podcast at the start of January, so we're going to firstly look back at some notable news items that cropped up over the festive period. The first of which was the Bank of England taking aim at open-ended investment funds, citing those with potential liquidity issues as posing a systemic risk. The bank came up with a number of proposals and the upshot is the end could be nigh for daily for the daily trading of funds that invest in illiquid assets. Dimitri, property seems to be the most obvious candidate sector. Yes, um, funds um, investing in direct property should be the most obvious candidate for, well, average investor. It's very clear that there are fundamental issues with liquidity mismatches in property funds. Therefore, in times of market stress, when investors would like to withdraw more cash than it's available to distribute by the fund manager, it's uh, well as, as it is all tied up in property. The fund will become suspended in order to protect existing investors until some of the underlying property within well within the fund can be sold to meet the investor demand. While probability of this um, happening is not that high, it, it's it's actually happened in the past. So few property funds were suspended during the financial crisis in 2008 and uh, and most well I guess recently after the Brexit referendum in 2016 and uh, yeah and and but since then it's 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 actually they reopened I mean this is all very hypothetical but what it will probably mean in practice is that potentially investors would only be able to sell their investments at a specific point such as once a week once a month uh, even quarterly. Um, Dimitri, what's your general thoughts? Would you welcome an end to the daily trading of property funds? Not very easy answer to the, this question. Uh, while some funds provide daily dealing, underlying holdings often take much longer to sell. And there is no doubt that this uh, liquidity mismatch in such funds should be addressed by the regulator. Uh, while this is a short-term illiquidity issue for open-ended funds, long-term investors who have well-diversified portfolio and do not need short-term capital uh, or regular withdrawals should not panic. I mean, for, for example, uh, if we take the MSCI Private Investor Balanced Index for a proxy for average portfolio, then their allocation to property should be just around 5%. So for the long-term investor, this shouldn't be issue as, as such. But however, if, if uh, this is a short-term investor who need immediate access to money or for regular in, uh, investing, I, I think closed-ended uh, property funds are a better choice as they offer greater liquidity via daily trading. And of course, the, the spotlight on liquidity has gained greater prominence following um, the Neil Woodford debacle. And on that front, um, investors in the LF Woodford Equity Income Funds, they will start to receive a slice of their money back at the end of January. However, it could take several months until all that money is repaid as there's a long tail of unlisted stocks that need to be sold and this is a process that does not happen overnight. 
Um, investors are rumoured to lose around 30% of their investments. Sticking with Wolford, he was back in the news again earlier this week after it emerged that he and his business partner, Craig Newman, took a rather large dividend out of the company, 13.8 million in the financial year to March 2019. This, of course, was a couple of months prior to the fund suspension, but surely, Dimitri, when the 300,000 odd investors left in the fund see that in the news, I mean, they're not going to be very happy about it when they're going to be taking, obviously, a substantial haircut themselves. Uh, well, yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, any 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 losses uh, uh, should be should be uh, uh, disappointing for investors. But again, uh, given given the strategy employed by Woodford in in the fund in uh, in equity income fund, taking large high conviction bets on FTSE 100 stocks and sectors, as well as having exposure to small unquoted uh, companies, the average investor should have had a relatively small satellite exposure to the fund. Woodford has been very transparent on this and published his portfolio holdings every month. And as an example, if we take again the MSCI Private Investor Balanced Index as a proxy for the average portfolio, where overall allocation to UK is around 30%, the satellite exposure uh, to UK funds should be around 10%. I mean, this is, this is very hypothetical, but again, theoretically, in the context of global well-diversified portfolio, the haircut is not as dramatic as it seems. And technically, the fund needed to be suspended, but I would argue this uh, was not in the best interest for investors uh, and for the fund to be liquidated. It should have been kept open, given some of the holdings actually recovered since then. And since the um, the general election result, um, a lot of these domestic stocks that um, Woodford has held for a couple of years, they really have bounced back. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, um, enough of Woodford. Moving on, the second big news item over the festive period, in the funds world at least, concerns another star fund manager, Nick Train. Tuva's funds, the LF Lindsay Train UK Equity Fund, and the Finsby Growth and Income Investment Trust were downgraded by data provider and analyst Morningstar, owing to, yes, you guessed it, concerns over that L word again, liquidity. Dimitri, what are your thoughts on the downgrade, particularly given that the LF Lindsay Train UK Equity Fund is one of Interactive Investors' uh, recommended funds in its Super 60 list? We are very familiar with this fund and uh, it's actually included in the Interactive Investors' Super 60 list of rated funds as a core holding in the UK equity category. So and, 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 and everyone knows that the long-term performance of the, of the fund was very strong and the fund has grown significantly since we added to our list. As a result of this and because of the highly concentrated nature of the fund and the recent downgrades by independent external sources, we uh, wanted to reassure ourselves that there has been no deterioration in liquidity and therefore we have decided to place the, the fund under formal review. So this means that we are having in-depth discussions uh, directly with the fund manager as a part of our review process. And uh, well, hopefully is uh, in, uh, this month or next month, based on the findings from this analysis, we will decide whether to retain or replace the fund within the Super 60 list. At this moment, I guess, uh, we, will, we will conclude our analysis and we'll make our recommendations. Thank you for that, Dimitri. I'm going to give you a little breather now until the last segment of the podcast. 
in which I will um, ask you to go through one of the interactive investors' um, Super 60 funds. Faith and I are going to move on to our fund dilemma question of the week. This this part of the podcast is an opportunity for listeners to submit their own fund-related questions, so please get in touch. You can do so via emailing editorial at ii.co.uk, and when you submit your question, please do put fund fan podcast in the subject line of the email. First up is a question that crops up regularly in the Money Observer postbag, and that is, how many funds is the ideal number to invest in? Faith, the trouble is with this question is it's a very tricky one to answer as there's no real magic number, is there? No, you're right, Kyle. There isn't a magic number. It does depend substantially on how much money you've got to invest. People who are just starting out, uh, it would be crazy of them to think about putting a small amount of money into more than one fund. Sensibly, they'll start with uh, a single broad-based fund, maybe um, a global generalist investment trust such as F&C, which is spread very broadly. It gives them lots of exposure, but um, many, many holdings. So each individual company is not posing a big risk to, to, to the portfolio as a whole. And then as their money grows, they can add to it. And at some point, um, maybe after they have amassed, maybe, let's say, £10,000, they could they could think about adding another fund or splitting it into two funds. They might choose to branch out into, into a small cap fund or start adding, adding some regional exposure. But it is important to remember, if you, if you do take this line, that a lot of global funds are quite heavily exposed to the United States, and so you probably wouldn't want to add a a US fund at that point. As far as bigger investors are concerned, really it's a matter of diversification, and that involves thinking about market capitalization. So you want big, large cap funds and small cap funds, different styles of investment. So you might want a bit of value exposure as well as growth, and of course, regional and um, and different asset classes, bonds maybe on property, as well as equities. Again, it's, the, it's very hard to put a, a number on it, but most financial advisors would say that 15 to 20 funds is really the maximum you're ever gonna need. And as far as Money Observer is concerned, the model portfolios that we run, we've got all sorts of, of portfolios out there, but, but uh, most of them are holding in the region of seven or eight funds. And that's likely to, to suit anybody with, uh, say, £100,000 to invest very nicely. And of course, uh, one of the main reasons why um, a financial planner or an advisor would say no more than, say, 20 funds, even if you are a large investor and you've you know, you've got six-figure sum, mm. is because the risk is that you end up basically duplicating the underlying holdings. Exactly. Um, and then, and that can be achieved far more cheaper and effectively by just simply buying the global index passively. Yes, if you just want to get complete overall exposure to everything, then a, an index tracker is the way forward. But as soon as you start wanting to be a bit more specific and using actively managed funds then it does make sense to to try and get a, an overview of the main, at least the main holdings in each fund that you invest in and make sure that there's as little crossover between them as possible. Thanks for that, Faith. Um, and you're going to be sticking with me now for this next part of the podcast, which looks at the, the big theme. This part of the podcast is going to highlight a particular theme 
that um, investors can play, or it's going to look at sort of portfolio pointers and practical tips for investors. And we're going to start start off with the latter um, in this very first podcast. And as it's as it is the start of January, a lot of people are doing a detox in terms of you know getting fitter at the start of the year. So we're going to look at how investors can do a portfolio detox. Faith, what would your top tips for that be? Well, it is, as you say, Carl, a very good time of year to to, um, think about tidying up, um, trimming your portfolio, just getting it into into tip-top shape. I would say that a good starting point is to rebalance. It sounds a bit counterintuitive to take money out of the funds that have done best for you, but what happens if you don't do that is that over time, the, the, the highest performers come to dominate your portfolio. They, they grow faster than the, than the less successful performers. And the risk is that if you don't do anything about trimming them back, you will suffer if they fall out of favour, if they correct themselves. And that can be a particular problem for investment trusts, which might move on to a premium, that's a share price premium, to the net asset value. And the risk then is that the premium corrects itself and investors take a, a double hit. So to get back to the question, I would say that rebalancing is a sensible thing to do. That just involves taking a certain amount off the, the biggest funds in your portfolio and either sticking it into a new fund or possibly redirecting it into one of the poorer performing funds, the, the less successful funds that you already hold, one that might come back over the coming years that uh, might fall back into favour. Uh, to give an example, if you had, say, uh, a global portfolio at the beginning of 2019, then the global, the global funds would have done very well in that. They were powering ahead. If you took a bit, say 10% off your global holdings, your global um, funds and investment trusts and stuck it in the UK at the beginning of 2019, you would now be looking at a at a more successful portfolio than if you'd left it all in the in the global funds that you were originally holding. So even if you are a, a buy and hold fund investor, that is, that is that's your sort of persona. It is not simply buy and forget. It is prudent to look at your portfolio at least once or twice a year, even if you are quite a passive investor generally. Yes, absolutely. And and the point is not to try and second guess the market. It's to ensure that you you aren't more vulnerable to um, to a change in market fortunes than you need to be. Do you have another tip to share at all, Faith? Oh, yes, I do. Um, it is a good time also to consider your own circumstances. Often people don't, you know, nothing much changes from one year to the next for people. But every so often, when you stop and think about it, you might realise that you're not in quite the same boat as you were a year ago. For example, you might have had a pay rise, which means that you can put away a bit more on a regular basis if you're a regular saver. You might be thinking that you really could do with a bit of income, not necessarily because you're retiring but because for example you you, you've cut your working hours because you're looking after the kids or you're looking after your elderly parents you might be thinking about spare cash if you've got some some money just sitting that's uninvested you've not just not got around to doing anything with it now's the time to do something about that you may also uh, want to think about your risk profile It, it, it might be that as you get nearer to retirement you are inclined to get rid of some of those single country high risk funds and the technology investment trusts that you've been holding because they are 
really inherently volatile and you might move into something a bit more mainstream that's not going to take you through such ups and downs on a regular basis. Thank you for that, Faith. That's interesting food for thought for uh, people that are looking to do a portfolio detox. For what it's worth, my top detoxing tip would be to really take a look at those fund charges. As an investor, it's pretty much the only thing that you can control. And I think if, you've, if you're investing in a fund that is charging over 1%, you should really take a really hard look at it and decide whether it is giving you value for money. I've just had another thought, actually, as a, as a last tip, if we're, if we're sharing between us. Yes, um, sustainability is a, has been a, such a buzzword this year. And it may be that you are thinking, well, it's now time for me to, to try and get a bit more of a sustainable slant to my portfolio. This is your opportunity to do it. Just have a look around in interactive investor website has got its ace 30 list of sustainable investments and if you can find something that will um, act as a sensible uh, alternative to holdings you've currently got why not make the swap and uh, do your bit for the planet thank you faith as an additional point, anyone who is looking for ideas and inspiration during the upcoming ice season can find a wealth of ideas in the Your Fun Choices magazine, which is going to be on sale from the start of February. The magazine details Money Observer's rated funds for 2020, and these are the funds in various sectors that we believe are the superior options for um, fund investors. As mentioned, it's on sale from early February, but it can be pre-ordered now. Check out moneyobserver.com for more details. Dimitri, you've joined me once again to conclude this very first podcast. We are going to move on to Interactive Investors Super 60 Fund Choice in 60 seconds, give or take. So, Dimitri, when you're ready, take it away. Thanks, Kyle. So, yeah, I, I would like to highlight the BMO Commercial Property Trust, which aims to provide an attractive level of income with capital growth through investing in well-diversified portfolio of UK commercial properties. It focuses on high-quality freehold and long leasehold properties based in prime locations with developed infrastructure and transport links. The trust has been managed by highly experienced property investor Richard Kirby since its long in March 2005 and who is supported by a wider well-resourced team at BMO Real Estate Partners. The trust mainly invests in three commercial property sectors, office, retail and industrial with some exposure to the alternative sector including leisure, residential property and student housing. It is well diversified by region and sector with a bias toward properties in the west end of London. Its largest assets include St. Christopher Place Estate, an office building in St. James Street in London, and retail park space in Newbury and Solihull. The trust has produced consistent returns over the longer term and offer an attractive yield of over 5%. In addition to, to this, it has generated an annual dividend since 2006. The long-term fundamental case for property as an asset class remain intact. Yields and valuations still look attractive relative to other asset classes, and property remain a solid option to generate income and diversify an investor's portfolio. Therefore, I believe this is a great fund to highlight for this year. Thank you, Dimitri, and uh, thank you as well, Faith. We hope you've enjoyed listening, and do let us know your thoughts on this podcast going forward. And if you have any suggestions, good or bad, we would love to hear from you. Our next Fund Fan podcast will be available later this month.